So, we are into our scripture reading now. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and pr- to predict by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Chaldeus. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the brother and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to thank Paul for stepping in as our liturgist this morning while Andrew's out this Sunday. And I also want to echo, I know it's been said several times, but this is truly a remarkable church when it comes to music ministry. And I'm just so grateful to everyone sharing their gifts and talents as we praise God together. Well, I came across an interesting post the other day online, and the the person who made this post on social media They were asking, if a fire department had never been invented, if no one had ever thought of that, and somebody invented it today and proposed it, would it get the votes? Would people get behind the idea of a communal fire department in our communities? And the person who made this post was recognizing that our culture seems to be increasingly isolated, divided, and self-interested. And so they were genuinely wondering, would people be behind that idea today? And the responses in the comments were mixed. Some said, well, yeah. (laughs) Nobody wants a fire in their house, right? And fire fire departments do such just unambiguously good work. Of course people would get behind it. They'd be okay paying a little bit of taxpayer money for something so important to the community. And the other responses were saying, Well, that's a little unrealistic. I mean, the world is so divided right now. Everyone's just looking out for themselves and feels overwhelmed. And it's not hard to imagine in our culture what some arguments against a fire department would be. Someone might say, oh, so now I'm supposed to pay for your negligence, your mistake. You should have been practicing fire safety. This is on you. Or they might say, well, every person should have their own sprinkler system installed in their home, and if you don't, don't you kind of deserve it? (laughs) Sometimes it feels like that's the natural way of the world. Your fire, your problem. Your crisis, your problem. How we react in a crisis, a sudden emergency, says a lot about who we are, doesn't it? My mom always says, disasters bring out the best and the worst in people, and she is so right. (laughs) Moments of crisis reveal what we really are and what we only pay lip service to. If we look back to the time that the book of Acts was written, it was a pretty individualistic and isolated culture as well. As a matter of fact, there was arguably the first fire department ever invented in 55 AD, which was around the time that the book of Acts was written. And I'm going to tell you how this fire department worked, and spoiler alert, you are going to hate it. This fire brigade, so-called, was actually a business owned by a man named Marcus Crassus. And Marcus was a slave owner who owned 500 slaves. And what Marcus would do is he would sit and wait until he saw smoke or heard people cry out, fire, fire. 
And then his team would mobilize. They would grab all their buckets of water and sprint to the scene and get up in a line for a bucket brigade ready to put out the flames. But then they would get there and they would just wait. And Marcus would run around and ask until he found the owner of the building. And he would offer to buy the building from them for a ridiculously low offer, a fraction of what it was worth. And if that owner said, fine, I'll sell it to you, then the bucket brigade would put out the fire. And if they didn't, then they would stand by and watch as the building burned to the ground. Marcus demonstrated a depth of selfishness that's hard to even look at. It's hard to even acknowledge that that could be true. But sometimes that feels like par for the course, doesn't it? Maybe that's just how the world works. Everyone's out for their own interest, and one man's crisis is another man's opportunity. How we react to a crisis says a lot about who we are. Yeah, the culture in the Roman Empire didn't feel so different back then as it does now. People pay a lot of lip service to ideas of unity and togetherness, but did they mean it? I don't know if y'all remember the commercials, especially during football games, right after the COVID shutdown, but they were hilarious to me. It was these commercials, it would say, we're in this together, family, unity, unprecedented, Comcast Xfinity. As if Comcast has ever had your back on anything. No offense to anybody that works at Comcast. But as we've talked about before, the book of Acts is looking at the earliest Christians, and today's passage focuses on two churches that were both Christian in name and were theoretically part of the same Big C church, but they could not have been more different. Now, on the one hand, you have the church in Jerusalem. This was a church made up of Christians who were mostly Jewish first before they found Christ, and they were worshiping in a city with the temple in it, the temple the one that had been around for thousands of years, or 1,000 years. That's four times as long as the United States of America has been a country. They were steeped in this Jewish tradition. You couldn't throw a rock in Jerusalem without hitting something historically significant to the Judeo-Christian faith. And so these Christians in Jerusalem had a huge respect for Jewish law. They viewed the Roman Empire as an oppressor, and they viewed Jesus' life and ministry through the lens of Jewish prophecy of the Messiah. Now, on the other hand, 300 miles away, there was a church in a place called Antioch. This was a port city. It was full of people from all around the world. And there had just been a church plant there that blew up. Nobody could explain why. It was just the Holy Spirit was at work there. And most of these new converts to Christianity were Romans who had learned about Jesus and were so excited about his message and the work of the Holy Spirit that they eagerly joined in with what the church was doing. Now, most of these folks in Antioch didn't know the Jewish law. Most of them grew up Roman, and so the Roman Empire wasn't evil in their eyes. It was just home. And they viewed Jesus as their model for ministry, learning about Jewish culture only when Paul or Barnabas or other teachers would tell them about it. And now remember, on paper, both of these churches claimed on Sundays that they, well, on Saturdays for them, that they were part of the same church. Kind of like how Methodists and Catholics might say that today, or maybe Mennonites and Baptists, or Pentecostals and Anglicans. I mean, we say it every week in our Apostles' Creed. Did you know that? When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
If you look in your hymnal, there's a little asterisk next to the word Catholic, and it explains that it means universal. So every week we say we believe in one universal church, God's church. But in practice, (laughs) well, when was the last time you shared a meal with people from more than two denominations or people different than us? I mean, you can't help but wonder when we say that creed, what would happen if it was put to the test? Well, for these two churches in the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem and Antioch, that test would come sooner than anybody thought. There was a crisis. We read that Agabus, a man empowered by the Holy Spirit with a vision of the future, announces that there would be a great famine, and that that vision comes true. And this famine hits the whole region, but it hits the church in Jerusalem very hard. Now, it's difficult for us with our freezers and mass-produced crops and canned food to imagine what a famine of this scale would have been like. For us, the closest recent memory might be the toilet paper famine of 2020. But for this culture, it was a lot more serious. Most people didn't have any savings. You earned enough each day for meals and a little extra to cover expenses, but nobody had saved any money. And so when food became scarce, the price shot up and people were starving. There was a crisis. There was a fire that needed to be put out. Now, the church in Antioch, these brand new Christians, heard what was going on, and they said in worship all the time that those people over there at that church were their brothers and sisters in Christ. But did they really mean it? How they reacted to this crisis would say a lot about who the church was. My home community went through a crisis In 2005, I was 12 years old, and Hurricane Katrina made landfall in my hometown on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. The hurricane had winds of 175 miles per hour, and those winds pushed a 20-foot storm surge of seawater up across the beach and through our town. Houses near the beach just weren't there anymore. Steps to nowhere was the quote, because it was just steps that led to a concrete slab. The bridge that connected our community to the rest of the Mississippi Gulf Coast collapsed and fell into the water. Oak trees that had been around for generations were uprooted and thrown into houses. My family's house was flooded with six feet of water, (laughs) and we suddenly had nothing. We lived around with family in Florida and Louisiana before we finally got a trailer from FEMA and lived in that in our front yard, me, my mom, my dad, my three siblings. The trailer felt small, by the way. As our community reeled and tried to deal with this crisis, we saw darkness. We saw depths of division, isolation, and selfishness that I had never known could exist. We saw looters driving through Louisiana and New Orleans and Mississippi, taking whatever they could from houses and businesses with no regard for the owners. We saw insurance adjusters walk into houses that had been insured with flood insurance, and their boots would squelch in the mud that the floods had brought in as they looked at the water lines on the walls and saw the soaked furniture, and they would look the owners in the eye and say, we're not covering this because this is wind damage. 
We saw predatory contractors, construction workers come through getting paid to repair a roof, but choosing instead to just put new shingles on the same rotten wood, taking the money and skipping town. These were just like Marcus's Roman fire brigade, just in our time. Such brokenness and such selfishness. And you couldn't help but think, maybe this is just how the world works. But then my hometown saw something else, too. We saw, the, we saw Christ's universal church, and we saw it get up and move. A Baptist church in Texas shipped every one of my school backpacks that had CD players, these Walkmans, and a bunch of CDs that people had donated. I remember I got a Rascal Flat CD. Y'all, I don't like Rascal Flats. <laughs> Sorry to say, but I listened to that album every day in our trailer because it was what I had, and I was grateful. There were Methodist churches that sent in emergency response teams just like ours here at Noonan First. They cleaned up the flood damage and the Katrina muck, and they cut down trees and made sure folks had what they needed. More than anything, I remember a group of Mennonites, and they were from the Midwest. They came into our hometown and set up this big tent in the middle of town, like one of those wedding tents. And they were there six months. They gave lunch and dinner to anyone who came, no questions asked. Sometimes they would have a movie night on a big projector with all the, the mosquitoes and gnats everywhere. And everyone called it the hippie tent because these Mennonites stank. They smelled bad. And they smelled bad because they were sleeping in tents that they had brought with them. They were choosing to have nothing so they could be there with us in our crisis. Why? Because we were their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I had heard the church say that over and over again growing up, but I never truly knew it until I saw the church care for me when I had nothing. When I saw the unconditional love of God through the church's service and witness, how the church reacts to a crisis says a lot about who we are. Now, like those Mennonites, the church in Antioch gave up whatever they could and sent it to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. It didn't matter that there had been division. It didn't matter that they disagreed on matters of the law. It didn't matter that sometimes people in Jerusalem badmouth the church in Antioch or people in the, the church in Antioch badmouth the church in Jerusalem. The only thing that mattered is that there was a need, and those strangers 300 miles away, through Christ, were now family. When the rest of the world seemed to close its fists, the church opened up its hands. You may have noticed this missions impact packet that was included in your bulletin this morning, and I, I really encourage you to read through it. It's just a small snapshot of some of the ways that this church has tangibly made a difference through its gifts, its service, and its witness. It's an important reminder of fulfilling our membership vows. Do you remember those? We vow to uphold the ministries of the church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Now, next Sunday is Stewardship Sunday, where we will submit our pledges to demonstrate how we will support the work of the church through our financial gifts. But today, 
We want to look at our service and our witness. I want you to take that packet right now and flip it over with me and look at this back panel. And what you'll see there is our missions opportunities that we have on the calendar for the remainder of 2022. And here's my dream. I want everyone worshiping with us today to pick one of these ways to serve and do it. Look through this list and say a prayer about what God is calling you to do to love your neighbor in this season. And pray and commit to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ through one or more of these service opportunities. And my dream is that all of Noonan will see that as our witness. Those outside the church will see our service and know we are being the hands and feet of God. Something so loving and so good that they can't help but want to join in. There are neighbors in urgent need all around us, and the world is watching. How we react to a crisis says a lot about who we are. Amen.